With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. Swing And good morning and welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, May the 23rd, 2015. I'm your host, Hook Slide, and we've got ourselves a pretty full slate for today's show. Not one, but two guests. Lots of good content, so let's saddle up and get right to it. If you are a first-time listener, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us on the web at www.blessyouboys.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bless You Boys and search for Bless You Boys on Facebook. Like our page and you'll start getting our spectacular Tigers-related content in your news feed. Well, as long as the week ends well, it's been a good week, right? The Tigers started off by dropping three games in a row, one to St. Louis and two to Milwaukee, but then bounced right back to win three in a row, taking that final game in the Milwaukee series and taking the first two from Houston. The highlight of the week? has got to be Thursday afternoon, 11th inning, tie ball game. James McCann at the plate. Fly ball, left field off the bat of McCann. This one's deep, going back, Rasmus at the fence, leaping up, and it's gone! James McCann, number two, delivers the win in the bottom of the 11th. Into the mob scene at home at Comerica Park. He hits one over the fence for the first time. His first career home run and inside the Parker. Huge hug with Miguel Cabrera at home plate. And the Tigers have to work extra but come away with a win and beat the Houston Astros 6-5-11. to Now, if your first Major League home run is an inside the Parker and your second Major League home run is a walk-off in extra innings, how do you top that? How do you indeed, James McCann? We'll be watching to see what you've got for an encore. Of course, that's Dan Dickerson on the call with WXYT and the Tigers Radio Network. And as I mentioned earlier, we've got a couple of guests for today's program. Uh, we've got Bless you Boys staff writer John Urkula joining us a little bit later to talk about Tigers baseball. And joining us right now is Ryan Dunsmore, the managing editor over at Crawfish Boxes. That's SB Nation's Houston Astros site. Ryan, thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So not to uh, not to rub it in, Ryan, but uh, how about that J.D. Martinez? Yeah, he's he's a guy. <laughs> he's um, I mean, I'm happy for him. I mean, it's it's not often do that someone get cut cut like that and turned in turn into such a productive player. And 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 if anything, I would say it's not necessarily on the Astros for missing him, but more on J.D. Martinez for making adjustments, becoming a better player. And going and going under Miguel Cabrera's wing and and improving himself. Yeah, as you were, we were talking a little bit before the show started, and I was looking through the uh, game thread comments over at Crawfish Boxes last night, and I saw at least one of your fans had made the comment after uh, JD went opposite field for that three-run home run. The comment was something along the lines of, "Who knew he knew how to hit to the opposite field?" That was not something that you guys really saw when he was with Houston. Yeah, no, he. Uh... I mean, he had a lot of problems staying on the field and, and was strictly a dead pole hitter. He, he really was peppering that wall out in left field in Minute Maid Park. So it's, it, 
it really is not – we're not seeing the same player at all from when he was with Houston. And we can only assume that that has something to do with Miguel Cabrera's influence. Obviously, Miguel Cabrera loving to use all of the field, uh, especially that opposite field power that he's got. Um, but I promised that we wouldn't uh, belabor the point, Ryan. So let's go ahead and talk about uh, what's in your wheelhouse here with the Houston Astros. Uh, it certainly seems like the Astros have been in rebuild mode for a long, long time, uh, finishing in dead last place uh, in 2013, uh, second to last place last year. And now suddenly... Here it is, 2015, and they've been in first place since April the 19th. Uh, what in your mind is it that, that finally clicked? Well, they, they finally have put together a major league roster and, and not just having an experiment to, to see how many times they can get the first overall pick. They, they've cultivated a few starters out of Keiko and McHugh. Uh, they, if there's going to be some kind of book written about the Astros down the road here, it's, it's as Moneyball had the on-base percentage, it appears Luno has found his market inefficient power. Uh, he's filled the lineup with, with as many power bats as he could, punting on, on uh, batting average and uh, strikeouts, and basically said just knock as many out of the park as you can. The Astros lead the league in home runs and are third in extra base hits. The final piece of the puzzle, which was really that the, a lot of our writers talked about uh with the end of the 2014 season was the bullpen. The bullpen was the absolute worst in the league. Uh, last in the ERA, 26 blown saves. And now they're the second best, uh, best team in, uh, by ERA. And it really has become a strength of the, uh, of the club improving upon how bad they were from last year. And, uh, you know, to kind of follow along with that, the, the strength in the pitching, Dallas Keuchel has been absolutely amazing so far this year. I think he's still, uh, as of this week, undefeated in his win-loss record. Not that we put a whole lot of stock in pitcher wins, but it means he's doing something right, or so it seems. Uh, what are you seeing from Dallas Keuchel this year? Hey, he's still he's doing what he's been doing since last year. It's it's really, he's been pounding the ball down. He he leads, leads the league by far by ground, uh, by ground ball outs and ground ball rate. Uh, he is absolutely insane with that, and it's just he just has everyone pounding the ball into the ground, and really it doesn't seem like there's any reason for that to stop, no matter how many years he's in the league. To keep this conversation going with kind of the rebuild question, uh, I've noticed this year on the roster there's quite a few new faces. Uh, in 2015, uh, players like Colby Rasmus, Jed Lowry, Evan Gaddis, uh, Valbuena is another one. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you think were one of the two of the most successful moves that the Astros made in the offseason? To build on my point from the first question here, I, I would say that the, my my two biggest acquisitions so far have been Luke Gregerson and Pat Neshek. It was really, I can't stress enough how bad the bullpen was last year for the Astros. Uh, and those two guys really stabilized, have stabled thus far. You've really set some very defined roles of Regerson closing and Qualls and Nishek. And you've also had the fact that now with uh, uh, with the manager who you have over, I think, six different Padres that were, were part of with, with Hinch while he was with San Diego System. So he knows all these guys, and it's really become uh, really stable. Now, if I were to talk about the, the in the in, uh, on, in the, pardon me, in the, in the field, uh, Jed Lowry coming back to the Astros seems like it was a really big stabling, uh, stabilizing force for the team there. Um, he was really on the hot start before he got on the DL. He was down 304 home runs, 10 RBIs in 18 games. He really was the leader of the team, uh, but they'll have to wait until the, after the All-Star break to get him back. And we're talking with uh, Ryan Dunsmore from uh, Crawfish Boxes, SB Nation's Houston Astros site. Ryan, to kind of go back to this question, of, you just mentioned uh, some of the management um, that's kind of been involved in this whole thing. And one of the big moves or the big news items last year was when uh, manager Bo, Parter, Bo Porter rather, was I mean, I fired in a rather dramatic fashion. This was in September of last year, and it was before the season was even over. Uh, your general manager made the statement, I made this decision because I believe we need a new direction in the clubhouse. Uh, what do you think of A.J. Hinch so far as their new manager? Has he provided that that new direction? Definitely. It's been really night and day with the kind of the culture of the clubhouse. Porter, Porter seemed like the ideal candidate for a young team 
because he he was a stern hand that that was doing baseball the right way kind of mindset. Now the thing was is that he took it a bit further here and was a bit extreme and kind of built extra levels of tension that didn't need to be there. He he made a big stink about uh, Mark Capel pitching in the bullpen without his knowledge uh, on the side and things like that here. Now with Hinge. I don't have that big of a sample size on his tactician side yet, but really the the one thing he's kind of come in and, and laid out is let your personality show. Just be who you are. As long as you play well in the field, I don't care what you do. And you've really seen these guys kind of enjoying baseball again uh, without having to worry about Bull Porter chewing them out or having stupid – stupid office games like a pinwheel or something that's playing it's a spin in the uh clubhouse to say, well, what do you want to talk about today? Integrity or or uh pressure mm-hmm. or something like that. He 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 had yeah, but it, Porter, Porter being gone is not I'm not, not sad to see that happen. And we always kind of struggle to quantify exactly how much a manager can impact, you know, a, a team's uh you know approach to success, their win loss record, this sort of thing. And Certainly, correlation and causation are two separate things. Uh, but you know, how much of the Astros' success this year would you sort of attribute to AJ Hinch coming on? You know, versus just some of the uh, you know the roster changes that were made. I, I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't, I would say that just more. It's Hinch has now become more an extension of the front office with Luno. Porter wasn't that he would he wanted to run the ship no matter um, no matter what Luno would say. He wanted to run it however he wanted. Uh, now. I would honestly say more that the, the roster moves are what is making this team successful, but Hinch is putting them in a good, a good mindset, a good just go out there and play mindset. Yeah, it just sounds like everything seems to be coming together and clicking at the same time. Let's take a look uh, kind of at the big picture, Ryan. The, the American League West is kind of a mess right now. It looks like it's fairly easy pickings for the Houston Astros. I think only the Angels right now have – uh, a 500 or better record in the AL West, and, and that only barely. Uh, but against the other divisions, I was looking at the uh, Las Vegas odds for the uh, American League pennant this year, and Vegas is giving the Astros the fourth best odds uh, to make that trip to the World Series. So from your perspective, is this potentially the year for the Astros? Is this the year that they become contenders, or are we still a year or two away from you know seeing them make it to the to the big dance in October? Yeah, I would I would have told you beginning of the season I'd say that they're a year away from even making the playoffs just because this is this all feels like the perfect storm. I am I'm still waiting to pinch myself to see if this is all real that the Astros mm-hmm. are actually in first place. Um, because if I if I would say, oh well, how how would you get the Astros in the first place? And they've been well that the West would have have to be in a complete mess, and it is right now, and really no one's seemed to be the biggest contender, but. Going to your question here, um, what I would think would need to happen would be some more roster changes. This, at the current state, they're not a World Series contender. They're not even in. Uh, but if you, let's say, they call it Correa or Fell from the minor leagues and say, let's, let's, let's go for it, or if they trade for a starting pitcher to fill out that. At the moment, there's, a, there's some questions before a five position here. If, would you want to roll them out? Uh, in the in the playoffs, so it, it, at the current construction, I would say playoffs great. You've you've you'll let's get to learn. You'll take a few games, uh, may even mm. may even get get through the first round. But no, uh, no World Series does not seem to be the 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 ceiling here for the current roster. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective. Of course, we know that once it comes to the playoffs, and you're dealing strictly in short series, you know, the five games, seven games, this sort of thing that really anything can happen. It, it could be a crapshoot. So, uh, you know, of course, you kind of can't rule the Astros out, at least not at this point. Can you talk a little bit more, though, because I, I heard you just mention names like Correa and some of the other guys that are still in the AAA system. Uh, maybe talk about one or two of those guys that uh, that you're looking forward to seeing come up to the club, maybe even this year. Yeah, if if you see Carlos Correa called up this year, you know the Astros are going for it, uh, and they're really kind of just going all out because he really is the future at shortstop. He 
he's the closest thing you're going to see to – I hate even giving this comp, comp because I feel like it's lazy and everyone does it, but he's going to be the closest thing you're probably going to see to Jeter or A-Rod coming up a few years ago. And hmm. I don't say that lightly. He really is that talented. He's only 20 years old. He's hit at every, every level. He's been nothing but a leader for every team he's been in the minor leagues. He, to use an example here, he was called up to double-A last year, but he traveled all the way back out to California to celebrate with his, the, the, the single-A affiliate in Lancaster when they won their championship uh, that he was a part of for about 70% of the season because he wanted to be there with his teammates. The kid is just going to be a leader. He's going to hit, and he can play the field he's going to be a star of any of the many prospects you've seen with the Astros. He's by far the cut above. Now for Mark, Bell, I see those... he hasn't. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What I was saying with Mark Appel, he hasn't been as dominant as you probably want to see first overall pick, but he'll be an improvement over what they have in the, in the rotation now. And he really is a special talent. So just, Bring, adding him to the mix will only help the Astros get better. It's just a matter of is he ready. Yeah, I was I was starting to say I I caught a little bit of the game last night, and I thought I read those numbers correctly. Is Correa the one who is sitting on like a three sixty average right now? Yep, yep, that's that's Carlos. I mean that's that's pretty impressive. I mean even for the Triple A level, that's that's still uh, I think what we call mashing. So I I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see uh, if and when they decide to pull him up. I mean if they do it this year, like you said, that would seem to be a pretty good sign that the Astros are are going for it this year. Uh, we're talking with Ryan Dunsmore from Crawfish Boxes, SB Nation's Houston Astros site, here on the Bless You Boys podcast. And uh, Ryan, I promised I wouldn't keep you for more than about 20 minutes, so we'll wind this down just a little bit. Um, you know, other baseball fan bases are probably already familiar with some of the names like Jose Altuve, obviously an all-star uh, for your team. Jason Castro is another one. Dallas Keuchel. Uh, so we're familiar with some of these names, but who would you say some of the other names are that you would consider to be sort of under-the-radar potential all-stars? Who should we be watching out for? I'm almost surprised you didn't have him on this list, but, I, but maybe I'll take the easy answer and say George Springer. Springer hmm. has... All the all the tools here. He's got power, speed. Plays great in the outfield. If he figures it out at the plate to to bring up his batting average, and uh, really he really is one of the the top talents in the Astros system, and will be an All Star. So it's it won't be surprised if he becomes a face of the league here if he can figure it out at the plate. Yep, George Springer is definitely one of those ones that kind of snuck up on me at least, and. Uh... Like you said, could be a real contributor here. I, I think I heard uh, our our broadcast team, Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen, last night said uh, he, you know, that they project that he'll he'll be, he'll be a perennial All Star at some point. So that uh, that's a, that's a real big plus for your toolbox there. Uh, so this is Ryan Dunsmore uh, with the Crawfish Boxes, SB Nation's Houston Astros site. Ryan, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? You can find me, as, as you said, there on the Crawfish Boxes. You can also find me for the, the SB Nation's Texans website, uh, Battle Red Blog, and also the Rockets website, The Dream Shake. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore M-O-R-E-5-5. All right. Thank you so much for dropping by, Ryan, and we'll hope to talk to you again in the future. And thanks for having me on again. All right, Ryan Dunsmore coming to us from the Houston Astros site, SB Nation site, Crawfish Boxes. As he mentioned, you can find his stuff online uh, at crawfishboxes.com and uh, also at on the Twitter account uh, at the underscore M-O-R-E-5-5. Uh, let's shift gears just a little bit here and start talking about the Detroit Tigers. After all, this is a Detroit Tigers podcast, and I know we want to talk about the uh, the past week of Tigers baseball been kind of an exciting one, so let's shift over to Bushy Boy staff writer John Erkula. John, how are you doing this morning? Oh, looks like great to be here. I got the uh, engine tuned up. I got the fluids topped off and gas in the tank. Let's talk Tigers. Are we are we talking Tigers, or is this uh, going to be a car talk episode? Yeah, this is, this is the gearhead edition of, uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> of the Tiger podcast. Because I'll tell you right well, now, I know absolutely nothing about vehicles, so that this could be a very, very short segment if we're going to car talk. It 
But it could be. I drive a minivan myself, so you know. <laughs> right, right. But it's, guys with uh, with families. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh that was great, boy! That was a great discussion. So, that was a great discussion with Ryan. It was fun talking, fun uh, listening to uh, the Astros' perspective. They got some real nice young talent there. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, like I said, a kind of a big surprise in 2015. We we'd known for a long time that they were, you know, threatening with the rebuild project, and to see it kind of come together is exciting for them and kind of exciting for us. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we wish them all the luck as long as they're not, you know, beating Detroit. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I, I would encourage our listeners to keep an eye on what's going on over there in Houston. No question. You know, I, uh, this series, this four-game set with the Astros. Um, you know, about a week or so ago, I was kind of looking ahead, thinking that this was going to be kind of like a pulling teeth kind of a series because they're a tough little crew. Um, you know, these first two games, they've been Tiger wins, but they haven't been easy, that's for sure. No, and it's fascinating when you look, uh, you know, kind of to the box scores and the stat lines and see that the Houston Astros lead uh, the American League both in strikeouts, but then also in home runs. And you got to believe that that's, that home run stat has something to do with why they're, you know, why they're winning so many games because they're certainly striking out at the same high rate that they did last year. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's kind of all or nothing lineup right now. It's going to be interesting to see how long they hold with guys like that. You know, Chris Carter is a, uh, he's like a ceiling fan basically, <laughs> especially with Tiger pitching. Right. And they strike him out at will. Um, so I think, you know, from that discussion, I think they have some moves they can make and they can really. You know, get someone for that DH spot to take Carter out and um, either get Lowry back or plug in that kid at shortstop, and they could have a really fun little season coming here. Yeah, I was disappointed to find that they're, I think, fourth or fifth in the American League in walks. I was kind of hoping to find them in first there, too, so we could say they're the true, uh, the three true outcomes baseball team, <laughs> sort of the Adam Dunn team of the, <laughs> of the American exactly. League, but they've got a ways to go. So... Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on with the Tigers this week. Of course, the the big news uh, that Victor Martinez is you know officially been placed on the disabled list. Tyler Collins uh, got the call up from Toledo. Uh, presumably, he's going to platoon with JD Martinez, kind of doing the DH right field split. So far, we've only seen Collins play at the DH spot. Um, the question, John, I think a lot of a lot of us had though is should the Tigers have called up Daniel Fields instead? Of course, he's the, the center fielder for the Toledo Mud Hens, and he had so much better numbers than uh, than Collins did in Toledo. So what's kind of behind the decision to bring up Collins instead of Fields, and was that the right move? Well, I think that Collins had um, the cup of coffee last year. That probably played some role. Um, they felt some comfort level with, with what he can do. Um, they probably felt that, you know, he'd seen a little bit of the big leagues and that could only help. Um, I'm not sure how much I put into that, but I would have to believe that was part of their thinking. Um, at Toledo, his overall numbers weren't fantastic, but he was actually hitting right-handers fairly well. And obviously that should be the uh, prime skill that they need him to flash uh, in Detroit right now is to uh, uh, give them some lineup balance and, and, and do a little bit of damage against right-handers. Um, Dan Fields, I don't know what to make of him, to be honest with slide. He's been so <laughs> – we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for so long, um, wondering if he'll break out. So now he has uh, gotten off to a great start. I know he had a little bit of a slump there for about 10 days, and that, maybe that cost him the call-up right there. Uh, it was just poorly timed because I think for like a 10-day span there, he hit about 170 or something like that. Uh, mm. uh, but before that, he'd been really raking. His strikeout rate's still a little bit high. So maybe they're worried he's, he would have some contact issues in the big leagues, or maybe they just want to see more sustained um, progress at AAA before they do something with him this summer. And, you know, maybe it made sense to give Collins the first shot. Yeah, I, I would tend to think, I mean, this is just my own, you know, personal take on it, that it had a lot to do with experience in both directions, and that is to say, that, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, Tyler Collins got the cup of coffee with the Tigers last year. He actually did, you know, was able to bring up, rack up some, uh, you know, Major League at-bats. So he had the slight edge in terms of Major League experience over Daniel Fields. Uh, I think the other issue, though, in terms of, you know, gauging by experience is that I think the Tigers really want Daniel Fields to get, you know, a, a sustained number of at-bats. Um, you know, and the way to do that is to keep him in Toledo and not bring him up into a situation in, in Detroit where, you know, he might end up spending more time on the bench. Yep. And I, I'm, you know, 
when you're talking about Dan Fields or Tyler Collins, uh, these aren't premium prospects. So really, when you bring them up and you're going to throw them into the fire here uh, at the big league level, you're really just hoping one or the other happens to get hot for a, uh, for a short amount of time and gives the club a boost. And, you know, really, what are the odds of one doing it over the other? <laughs> you know, I think it's probably pretty close right. uh, in terms of who's going to succeed right off the bat. Um, so if they wanted to lean toward Collins because he had, he's had a taste of it before, uh, that that was no problem for me. Yeah, I mean, and obviously this is kind of a temporary spot. You know, as we said, Victor Martinez goes on the disabled list. They expect him to be back at some point. You know, so in the interim, you you just need this guy to, you know, Tyler Collins to be the guy who can fill in that role, uh, you know, as the DH, but also to be able to play one of those corner outfield spots if you want to let J.D. Martinez DH for a game. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of one of the situations, I think, where you're not going to expect Tyler Collins to be Victor Martinez. He's not going to hit, you know, 25, 30 home runs on the season, but as far as a temporary fill-in, I think he'll get the job done. Well, and obviously, um, depends on how you look about replacing Victor Martinez. I mean, if we're, yeah, we're not replacing the Victor Martinez of last year, but if we're replacing the mm-hmm. Victor Martinez we've seen this year, <laughs> whatever he can contribute is going to be a step up, you know, because uh, uh, and we all love Victor. I mean, every one of us do, does, but uh, we all know uh, because of his injury, it was a black hole at the cleanup spot. Uh, for every at-bat he was taking, it was, it was getting pretty ugly. So if, if Collins can come up and slap some singles and get the occasional double up the gap and run the base as well, you know, uh, I, that can only be a small boost to the lineup over what they had. Yeah, and, and I like you said, to have a little bit of extra speed in that spot doesn't hurt, especially in the middle of the lineup like that. He was able to uh, hustle down to second base the other night and break up a double play. That's something that you're not going to see Victor Martinez do, at least not without... <laughs> Not without the aid of weaponry. Um, so, oh, uh, <laughs> there's no question. Victor would have been peeling off halfway to second on that play, you know, to get out of the way of the throw. <laughs> he would have been nowhere near the bag. So, yeah, there's no question. There, you know, there, around the margins with with Collins' athletic ability and speed and uh, just the fact that he's healthy and Victor wasn't, um, you know, it could work out for for the interim here for a short time. But obviously, like we said, the Tigers have got to get Victor Martinez healthy and get him back, you know, to being the, the Victor Martinez of 2014. And even if it's a step slightly down from 2014, you know, it, it's got to be better than what he was doing. And as you said, you know, we all love Victor. We're rooting for Victor. And yet the question I'm about to ask might seem like we're taking a different direction on that because, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's there's some rumblings, you know, some people kind of saying, Look, the guy had knee surgery this year. It seemed like his other knee was starting to act up a few weeks back. He was having some, you know, weird back issues as well. Was it really that good of a move to sign Victor to a four-year extension? I mean, and how are those knees going to hold up in 2016, 2017, 2018? Does this contract end up turning really south? Well, you know, as I said last time I was on with you a few weeks ago, I was kind of when when that signing happened last winter, I was kind of Switzerland on that one. I was pretty neutral. Uh, because you understand why it happened. Uh, Mike Illich likes his toys, and I think this was uh, there was a little bit of uh, an Illich-driven nature to this contract. I, the quote was out there that he said he was going to take care of Victor. That's what he told him. I, I believe that was in print someplace. Uh, so, from a baseball, if, if that's going to happen, if the owner's going to step in and wants to do that because he likes Victor and he's appreciated what he's done, then the baseball sense of it kind of gets shifted to the side a little bit. Um, and I can understand why Mr. Illich would want to do that. I mean, uh, Victor had a fantastic season. He's a pro. Um, you know, he's he's got to be one of his favorites. I get it. And I don't think that this four-year contract is going to be a complete disaster. Uh, it's just, just got the worst-case scenario happened in the first couple months here. <laughs> you know, they, um, they couldn't have been much worse than what we've seen. Uh, and the, but from the baseball side, the drawbacks to this contract are pretty obvious. I mean, he's a guy in his mid-30s who can't run and doesn't play defense. He's bat only. Uh, if that bat were to slow down for any reason, whether it's injury or just age-related uh, issues, uh, all of a sudden that is not a premium bat. It's not a bat worth $17 million and batting in your cleanup spot. Uh, and... It's easy to say that right now, uh, but I think you know when the contract is signed, if people were taking a good look at it, uh, they know that that was fraught with risk. 
that, you know, something like this could happen. Because, you know, Victor has a pretty long injury sheet. I mean, it's not like this was his first knee injury. Uh, he had the ACL reconstruction a couple years ago. Uh, he has been a catcher for a long time and has had all the general aches and pains that go along with that. Uh, so as, you know, as he gets into his mid-30s, um, and now this contract will take him into his late 30s, uh, there's no question we're going to see a lot more of this, I think. Uh, we're, you know, I think the Tigers, from a, a best-case scenario, uh, out of these four seasons, if they get one really premium year and maybe one or two good years, uh, that's the best they could have hoped for from this contract. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And, uh, you know, my, my issue has been, always has been, with these kinds of contracts. And I said this when Victor was extended. Certainly happy to see him stay in Detroit. No problem with that. But I would much rather see them load up that contract more heavily with the cash and uh, pull back a little bit from the length in terms of years. If you want to sign him to a two-year contract and, you know, pay him the same amount of money, that's, you know, that's fine with me. Um, you know, I'm just not sure about the wisdom of going, like you said, four years out into the twilight of his career for somebody who has shown that he's prone to those kinds of in, uh, injuries. And uh, like you said, if you can just get a couple of good years out of him and end up, you know, not in a situation where he, you know, is missing half the season or more than half the season or going out for a full season for, you know, much of that contract time, then, yeah, okay, then then you're coming out on top. Well, you know, this season... I, I don't know what we're going to make out of this one. Uh, but in terms of what you're saying, it would be really one of the things that we don't know and we'll never know is what other contracts would have been out there for Victor. Um, was there another club? I know they say he, the Seattle was kind of poking around. Would they really have offered four more years? I, I'm pretty I, – I don't know if a four-year contract is out there. I really think that uh, that was uh, the Tigers being loyal to their guy. Uh, I think that there's some some bit of that in there because um, you're right. A guy his age, even with the phenomenal year that he had, uh, a two-year contract would have made the most. You know, they really wanted him. I think Mr. Illich really wanted him, uh, so they they went with that four-year deal. So they have to live with it. It's a sunk cost now. It's done. Uh, he's there. Uh, it's just a matter now of getting him. You know, it's a matter of getting him healthy and hoping that. Uh, you know, that they can salvage something of this year. I, I, I'm not sure they can. We're just going to have to see. Um, because obviously, you know, early on this season, they said, well, rest isn't going to help. Uh, he has to play on it uh, to, to work, you know, to get his knees to the next level. Th- that always seemed a little bit dubious to me. Uh, that did not make a whole lot of sense because we're talking four or five at-bats a night, uh, just a few swings at game speed. I as someone who's had knee, knee surgeries myself, I just didn't see how that little bit of activity was what was going to take him to the next level health-wise. That made no sense to me. And as we saw him flinch on swings and barely be able to run, uh, you could see it wasn't getting any better. So I think this was all that they had you know, available to them. They had to put him on the disabled list. They had to give him some extended time off here. Uh, hopefully he's rehabbing, and we'll just have to see what happens. Um, you know, Can they get him back in July? or August, and can you give them a nice little run of, you know, 50 games, um, and then hopefully into the postseason if they're, if they're so lucky as to get there. So uh, it's it's going to be a lot of wait and see this year, and hopefully a lot less frustration on the way than what we had in the first month of the year. Yes, indeed, and I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the, with the medical diagnosis, and, and certainly what the Tigers were saying, and our own uh, – Managing editor Robert Jackie, who's got you know his doctor in uh, in physical therapy and knows a thing or two about rehab plans, said the same thing that it's really it wasn't really supposed to be an issue of pain so much as weakness and needing to you know kind of play through it to get, you know get the mobility back in the knee, get the strength back in the knee. But uh, like you said, it was kind of concerning to see that last game before he was finally pulled. You know to see him obviously flinching, limping, in pain, and you kind of wonder if it's a situation where. You know, one weak limb kind of puts pressure somewhere else, you know, and you can end up getting hurt while you're trying to rehab. So fingers crossed that we get Victor back here before too long and that he's able to come back and perform at the level, uh, you know, like I said, if not fully the 2014 level, which was just kind of playing out of his mind, you know, at yeah. least at, at something a little a little less than that, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, I wanted to kind of shift gears here mm-hmm. uh, as we kind of go on from the Victor, Victor Martinez piece. 
Uh, looking back at the Tigers' bullpen, which seems to be a perennial topic, um, and we just heard from Ryan Dunsmore with the Astros site talking about how the bullpen was a major piece for them this year, and I'm, I can only sit here and kind of salivate, you know, and say, yes, yes, as Tigers fans, we, we know that feeling. Um, but the good news is Alex Wilson has emerged, at least in the month of May, as an extremely steady bullpen piece. I was running through the stats, and so far in May he's pitched 12 and two-thirds innings, and has yet to allow a run. Opponents are only slashing 125 batting average, a 167 on base percentage, and a 175 slugging percentage. Now, the trick is, I looked up his average uh, leverage index, you know, sort of the, the pressure situations that he's in, and that's at a .61. Keep that in mind when we look at the fact that Jabba Chamberlain <laughs> in the month of May has pitched six and two-thirds innings. He's given up five runs. Opponents are hitting him to the tune of 367, 424 on base percentage, 600 slugging average. His whip is up over two, and his average uh, leverage index is 1.10. He's clearly getting the higher pressure situations than Alex Wilson, even though his numbers are, in many cases, double what Alex yeah. Wilson is putting up. So, John, when, <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when is Brad Osmus? Going to get off of the uh, – we just heard the quote last night on why he brought Jabba Chamberlain in in the eighth inning, and he said there was no decision. Jabba's my eighth inning guy. Yeah. When do we get to kind of veer off of that path and give the higher leverage innings to guys like Alice, uh, Alex Wilson and start putting Chamberlain in those lower pressure situations, you know, mop-up, middle relief, whatever it is? Well, I'll tell you, last night I certainly – uh, had a lot of trepidation seeing Jabba come in in the eighth. And, and to his credit, he worked a one, two, three inning, and that was fantastic. Um, he did. You know, here's the thing. If Brad Osmus is going to be married to the rules, you know, I got my eighth inning guy, I got my ninth inning guy, and, and, and he wants to set that in and get everybody's comfort level in their role, that's fine. I mean, that's the the modern bullpen orthodoxy that, that we, we see all over the place. Um, last year, Jabba held down that eighth inning job for about half the season, and he started leaking oil in late June. And uh, you could just see it getting progressively worse throughout the year. And what I will say for him is he didn't have a whole lot of other options other than maybe Albuquerque to try to plug in there. He had to try to milk it for the season and limp along. Um, this year, I'm fine with um, I'm sure he cares that I'm fine, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I'm fine with them using Java in the eighth inning. But as long as it's working, uh, there is no reason right now to try to milk it. If he starts to falter at all, I mean, if, I mean, and I'm talking even another game or two where it's just getting ugly, if, because it, odds are it will, because he's given up contact. Um, they need to pull the plug because they have other options this year. I mean, they have Alex Wilson, as you noted. They have uh, Angel Nesbitt, who I think – uh, throws a net, uh, throws a pretty solid fastball, and I think can, can compete in that role. Uh, they may get Rondon back, uh, so uh, there's going to be some other options. Uh, they they don't need to just continually roll a Jabba like they tried to do last year. So that's why I'm not as worried. Uh, I've probably put out a couple tweets that make me look like I'm pulling my hair out, and that's probably overstating it. I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but so I don't have a lot of confidence in Jabba. I'm just hopeful that they will only ride him until they, uh, the handwriting's on the wall, if they need to get him out of there and, and make a change. Yeah, well, John, John I'll tell you my, my issue with this, and that is that I know Jabba had a great first half in 2014, and that's what, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's Brad Osmus's rationale behind saying, yeah, run him out there and let him work through whatever issues he's having and try and get him back to that form. Uh, you know, that that first half of 2014 performance. Um, but when I look at the stat lines, I look at his career numbers, I see that, that his first half of 2014 is the anomaly. And what he's doing right now, what he did in the second half of 2014 when he so was you know leaking oil, to, to use your term, and we really are going to make this a, a car talk episode, I think. <laughs> but to, uh, to see him kind of return to that in 2014 and now in 2015, he's actually more in line with his career numbers at this point and maybe a little worse you know, in 2015. I don't know that there is, you know, a way to sort of get Java going to use, you know, to borrow the old Leland uh, yeah. you know, saying. And uh, I know Rob Rojacki pointed out 
uh, on the site the other night that the two big numbers that are the kind of the big red flags is that his strikeout rate is down. I was just looking on on fan graphs and uh, his his career strikeout rate is about 22, 23%. So far this year it's only been at 16%, so that's way down. His yeah. uh his career line drive rate is somewhere around 20, 21%, but this year it's it's almost doubled that. It's it's more than doubled that, rather. It's it's a 43.2%. So strikeouts yeah. are down. Line, you know, line drives are up and as as we probably know, of the three, you know, batted ball, ground ball, fly ball, line drive. Line drive is the one that translates into the absolute highest batting average. Yeah, I, I like seventy-five percent kind of, or something. Oh yeah, but somewhere between your batting average is like six seventy and seven twenty or something like that on line drives. So to see a yeah. guy go out there and you know with this alarming line drive rate, I'm not sure where the uh, the silver lining is or the, the sort of the misplaced hope in saying no, he'll he'll get back to to form. Well, it is mystifying what they've seen this spring um, that would point them into uh, Brad Austin saying that, hey, Jabba is definitely my number two guy. He's got that eighth inning. I mean, maybe they're trying to just implant that kind of confidence in them and saying, hey, you're, you're our guy. But uh, it's I've never seen a guy with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball who has less confidence in it. Uh, he just keeps bend them, you know, knocking off slider, 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 slider. And uh, you know guys are sitting on it, and all you got to do is hang one anywhere near the plate, and uh, uh, there's going to be some pretty hard contact. But, you know, the other, the flip side is he's gotten by. You know, how long can he keep getting by? And as long as Austin is ready to pull the plug when necessary, does he have the guts to do that? That's the, that's the unknown question in my mind. Uh, so I, I'm fine, you know, job is on the roster. He's got a pitch and they're going to do it. We, we saw the evidence last night. He's going to have that role. Uh, how long will they let him struggle? That to me is the big unanswered question. Uh, and hopefully we don't see it. Hopefully he keeps limping along and getting through it. That'd be great. But uh, we, I can tell you have your doubts and I have mine. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Sure. And you know, to put some kind of positive upspin as we wrap up this particular topic, you know, I, I will say he's he has made some adjustments. Now, early on in the season, when he was getting hit around you know, particularly hard, you know, it was uh, Jim Price on the radio that pointed it out and said he rarely throws the fastball back-to-back. You know, once he throws the fastball, he usually follows it up with about three or four breaking balls and maybe getting a little mm-hmm. bit too predictable. And certainly that's what happened uh, in that game against the White Sox when he gave up that, that three-run home run to Melky Cabrera. Yeah. And in, in recent outings, we're not seeing that kind of predictability. We are seeing him go to the fastball back-to-back two, three times. It looks like it's got a little bit more life. The breaking ball looks a little bit sharper than it has been. So, you know, maybe there is some, you know, some hope that uh, he can kind of turn it around a little bit. Well, when you're looking at putting together your bullpen, I mean, unless you have a Wade Davis to take the eight, not many teams do, like the Royals, okay? Um, the Tigers have a bunch of guys. They need to patch it together, and hopefully, you know, they need to ride the guys who are hot. Um, so you just hope you have your mixture of guys, and you get two good months out of this guy, and you get six weeks out of that guy, and you just got to, you know, uh, see when they have their best stuff in their command and ride them while they're, you know, doing well. Um, so I think the Tigers have some guys to choose from. That's that's the biggest thing. I just like that uh, they have a little bit more depth uh, with some of the young guys, uh, that they should be able to um, take job out of that role right away when when it becomes plain as day that the results aren't what they have been to this point. All right, and we're talking Tigers baseball here with John Urkula, Bless You Boys staff writer here on the Bless You Boys podcast. John, as we kind of wind up this podcast, because I know I want to let you get to uh, your Memorial Day weekend festivities, and I've got my own things i got to get to, um, let's talk just briefly again about the offense. And I know you brought this mm-hmm. up the last time you were on the show. You talked about how many games, uh, the, the high percentage of games in which they were scoring two runs or fewer. And uh, it seems like they may have sort of, kind of turned it around these last, this last couple of games, uh, starting to come through with the big hits. But when you look at the numbers and I ran the numbers, I think Thursday night might've been the last time I looked at it. It's, it's a deceptive offense, John. They're, they're <laughs> number two in the American league in batting average. They're first in the American League and on base percentage. They're, they were tied for first in OPS. You put that trifecta together, you think they should be scoring a lot of runs. And yet, when I list, last looked at the numbers, they were fifth in the American League in runs scored, probably because they are first in double plays. 
and I don't mean turning double plays. I mean hitting into double plays. Yes. So as you watch this, as you watch this offense up and down the lineup, what is your take on why are they so prone to hitting that double play ball, that rolling over, hitting the grounders, and not getting the big hits in those situations that would score them a lot of runs? You know, I saw um, a friend of mine posted a stat. I didn't see the stat myself, but it was from ESPN. And I don't know how much you put in. You know, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on obscure stats. Um, I know Jonah Carey at Grantland has written about it. Um, it's about cluster luck, you know, uh, which is a great name of a stack because of what it rhymes with. <laughs> but it's about, <laughs> but it's about the, the randomness of of clustering your hits, you know. Mm. And uh, as of about ten days ago, when I saw this stray stat come across me, there, um, the Tigers were dead last in the league. In, in just the in the random luck of clustering their hits together, and ESPN had them has having cost them over 20 runs, uh, whereas the Twins were number one in the league of of clustering all their hits together, and they had gained over 30 runs. And this was right in the middle of that stretch where they won something like uh, nine out of 12 or whatever. The Twins went on that little roll there. Um, so yeah, I think the double plays actually. You know, when you call it luck with clustering your hits, I think the double plays actually play into that because, you know, all of a sudden they hit into the double play, innings over, and you cost yourself another at bat where the next guy might have gotten a hit, and and you're clustering those hits and and all of a sudden putting up a crooked number. Um, so, I think some of it's just random because because when you when you talk about the statistics you're talking about, you know, when when they're leading the league in on base percentage and they're they're second in slugging, whatever they are. Uh, the general ingredients for sustained offensive output are there. Uh, it's just amazing that they've had so many games of two runs or less. And, yeah, they, they are uh, killing a lot of rallies with the double plays. Um, you know, what's Austin's going to do about that? Some of it will be um, solved by not having a uh, decrepit Victor Martinez you know, b- you know, bouncing in a double place, and I, I, that, that's a mean word to use, and he's not decrepit, but you know what I mean. He, he, he couldn't move. So those are a lot of double plays right there, potential double plays. So some of those will go away. Uh, but i got to believe we're going to see Osmus start putting a few more runners in motion, like Jim Leland probably would have, uh, and, and uh, you know, do some hit and runs, uh, try to stay out of double play situations. Uh, I, I would imagine that would be one of his first counters uh, instead of just continually piling up these DPs. Yeah, and what you say certainly rings true in terms of, you know, sort of the randomness, the, the luck of, you know, how those hits are coming in the lineup, whether they're clustered, you know, right after each other. Uh, I saw a stat, you know, that you, now that you bring it up, I saw a stat earlier this week. Um, you know, we talk about the fact that the Tigers are leading the American League in, in uh, the major leagues, I think, in, in grounding into double plays, but this is actually not, new to 2015 they they have led the league in years past or been really close to leading the league in years past and yet you know we saw a lot of runs scoring in 2013 when they had you know a lot more of the bigger you know slower guys that should have been more uh, prone to you know being double play candidates as you say you know kind of limping down the first baseline and yet those teams were able to you know put together lots of runs so you know i i think for once brad osmus and i are in complete agreement you know when he said the other day that uh, it's you know, it's it's something that's uh, happening now, but he doesn't expect it to continue. It, it's it's going to even itself out eventually. Yeah, I, I can buy into that, no question. Uh, I mean, the good news is, that we, to, in order to hit into double plays, you got to have a lot of men on base. <laughs> so uh, they're doing a good job of the first part. They're getting the men on base, and if they keep getting the men on base, good things are going to happen. They're going to keep turning that line over, line up over eventually, uh, more consistently. Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, the Tigers have a very nice offense. You know, we. A lot of times we, we get on podcasts and, and no matter how they're doing, we like, you know, it's kind of our job to talk about some of the warts and what they can do to fix them and, and that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of positive stuff with this club. And the the, the length of the lineup when, when the guys are really um, hitting on all cylinders, it's going to be impressive for stretches this year. And it has been already at times this year. It's just uh, they've just had some, some frustrations um, uh, and, and as we mentioned, the DPs are a part of it, and hopefully that does clear up. Yeah, you, we can't forget, as you said, that, uh, that this is a, an extremely potent offense. And I said this to Chris Iatt on last week's podcast, that when you've got that many hot hitters you know, up and down the lineup, it's just a matter of time before you start turning up aces, so to speak, 
and uh, you know putting up a lot of runs. So yeah, definitely not not too concerned about uh, the, the long term. And I, I still think that Kansas City is just they happen to be firing on all cylinders right now. I, I can't imagine that they're going to continue at that rate. So you know to 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 think that the Tigers are keeping pace with Kansas City even with you know all these injuries going on and Victor out and Avila out and Rondon and Verlander out. I, you know, there's there's a lot of reason to think that uh, there's there's good things ahead for this team in 2015. Well, you know, if Verlander comes back and gives it to hopefully they can get you know maybe a, a hundred-ish innings out of him, get a really nice shot in the arm for their rotation uh, to bring him through the second half. Uh, that's almost like making a deadline trade now. I mean, we're getting to that point <laughs> by the time he's ready, assuming he gets ready. Uh, that's going to be like the big deadline acquisition, um, and that's a pretty good one to get. You know, if, if he's if he's pitching well, I mean, that's going to be huge. Um, I should also lengthen the bullpen a little bit by whoever moves uh, to the bullpen. But so, uh, I, I'm excited about the second half. I mean, the Tigers started hot. They've been playing about 500 ball. I, I believe they're 16 and 16 in their last 32, if memory serves. So hmm. it's been a little bit hit or miss here for the last month. Um, but I think they've done the right thing by getting Victor on the DL and getting a healthy body in the lineup. I think that's going to help them in the short term and hopefully help them in the long term by getting him healthier for the second half. Um, and if he comes back and provides something, that's another almost like a deadline acquisition if, if they get a, a competent Victor Martinez back in the lineup in the second half of the season. So uh, I think it's going to be a great summer. I, I think Kansas City is a really nice ball club that way they play defense and run the bases and, uh, they make so much contact, you can't strike them out. Uh, they do a lot of good things, but the Tigers do as well, so it should be a pretty good fight. Well, folks, you heard it here first. The big trade deadline acquisitions, the Tigers are going to be trading with the disabled list. You heard it here <laughs> exactly. first. We're making the prediction now. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to go about the trade. You know, you don't got to give anybody up to get somebody off the disabled list. So, well, yeah, they I'm, hardly I'm have anybody left on the minors to give up, so yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> And that's a topic for another podcast. So let's wrap this exactly. up. Anyway, John, I want to let you get back to your uh, Memorial Day celebration. And uh, as you said, it's going to be a good summer. And uh, for most people, summer kicks off this weekend uh, with Memorial yeah. Day. So it's thanks so much for stopping by. Months. Go ahead. I just want to put a shout out to my my beautiful wife, Rachel. It's also our 17th anniversary today. So uh, well, not only is it Memorial Day, we're going to be celebrating. Thank you very much. That's That's so cool to hear. All right, John, thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again probably in a couple weeks. All right, sounds good. Next slide. Have a good one. You too. And with that, we wrap up another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to Ryan Dunsmore for joining me on the show today. You can find Ryan over at crawfishboxes.com and on Twitter at crawfishboxes and also at D underscore M-O-R-E-5-5. Thanks also to John Erickler for stopping by. Find him on Twitter at youper underscore I-A. You can follow me on Twitter at HooksFlyBYB or drop me a note at HooksFlyBYBGmail.com. From the virtual studios in West Michigan, have a happy Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you next week on the Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha, 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 that'll get him out of the old ballpark.